Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Mayday Neurodiversity Now on Vancouver Co-op Radio. I hope that all our listeners are doing great and staying healthy and entertained in this like weird time. Um, I've just got to say, this community is so incredible. Even though we're all practicing social isolation and social distancing, there's been so many new ways to connect popping up just because people just love each other so much. There's um, so many Facebook groups that are offering support. And last night I was literally listening to a concert um, by Elton John and Billie Eilish and um, some other artists just getting together in their living rooms to raise people's spirits. And despite all the negativity and the sickness going on, I think that the love and the togetherness that our community is showing is stronger than anything else. And I just wanted to say I love this community. We have an awesome show for you guys today. We're going to be hearing from university student Casey Broughton, um, who is studying calculus at UBC. And, and he's going to be sharing his experiences as a young person with autism and who identifies as LGBTQ and what life on university campus has meant to him. So good morning, Casey. It's great to have you on the show. Hi. Glad to be here. So, Casey, where are you from? So I grew up, well, I was born uh, in the States, but I grew up pretty much my entire life in Kelowna or the surrounding area. And then uh, I went, I moved to Vancouver for university. Cool. What are you taking in university? Uh, right now, I'm in a degree in uh, mathematics. Uh, Bachelor of Science. Sweet, me too! Um, I'm waiting for approval for a minor in GRSJ, which is Gender, Race, Sexuality, and Social Justice. Sweet, that's so cool! Mm -hmm. What made you decide on math? Um, I had always been like really more interested in the, the quantitative sciences. Um, so like, you know, math, physics, that sort of thing. And what made you decide on GRSJ as your minor? Personal interest, I am a person who is um, LGBTQ+, I'm bi, um, and I've been involved a bit this year with the Pride Collective at UBC, and I was, I'd heard from, yeah, and I'd heard from some of my, my friends in the Pride Collective, a lot of people were studying more arts things, more sort of... Um, stuff that was closer to queer studies and just that stuff's always been really interesting to me and I wanted a chance to study that while I still could in a sense. And you mentioned to me earlier that one of your personal goals for your education is to get into law school at McGill next year. Yeah that's what I'm looking at or something in an adjacent field. Law has always been really interesting to me. Um, I mean it's obviously it's sort of a, a key thing it's what governs our lives and also there's a lot of stuff sort of towards the social justice side of things that you can do with law <clears throat> that I found um, like more appealing than a lot of like my previous thoughts which were towards academia and math. Yeah, it must actually be pretty cool to approach um, law from like a calculus background, huh? Yeah, it is. It's not entirely uncommon. A lot of, um, like they say that the second best uh, group of students on the LSATs, the law school admission tests, are math students because a lot of the foundations of logic and in building a cohesive argument are, you get a lot of that in math, especially in pure math. Um, but yeah, a lot of the more like sort of literature and reading and research side is a little less common to math, but it's stuff that I've always been interested in and somewhat good at, so. This is amazing. Um, so what has your experience kind of been like as a person with autism um, attending university, a major university like UBC? Can you tell us a bit about your experience? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's difficult to summarize overall. I mean, I've had <laughs> good experiences and bad experiences for sure. Um, it can be difficult sometimes dealing with, you know, an institution that um, is not always set up very well for non-neurotypical people. Um, like, I know that, for instance, the, the Center for Accessibility, formerly Access and Diversity, are really doing the best they can, but it can be difficult sometimes when you've got maybe them behind you, but other parts of the university are less behind you in terms of yeah. academic concessions, and sometimes it seems like people don't listen that much to stuff that comes out of equity and inclusion and out of the Center for Accessibility, Yeah, um, which can be frustrating. I've had it happen at, not very often, thankfully, but I have had a few professors where I've given, I have the letter from <clears throat> the Center for Accessibility explaining my accommodations, and I've had profs kind of be like, well, do I really need to deal with this? Like, why can't you deal with it? Because mm -hmm. like, you're my prof, and it's your job to, like, direct further questions to access and diversity, please. Um, but to go back to sort of my university experience more generally, like, it's overall obviously been a positive. I'm glad I've been to university. I've had struggles a lot more than I expected, I think, with mental health. Um, just like I can get, I think partially because of my autism, I can get into a rut. Um, and it's difficult for me to change tracks. I mean, that was certainly true of when I had to change from my... Uh, from my combined honors in math and physics to mathematics, it was partially a voluntary choice, but also that voluntary choice was made after I had to get an academic concession in the middle of first term of my third, because no, I was under such strain that I was sleeping in the few hours between classes and working, or more to the point, trying to work all night. And it was not working out for me, and I ended up having to apply for and thankfully received an academic concession and still ended up failing a course that term, um, having already dropped out of two others. Yeah, and so for people who don't know, an academic concession is basically when you're allowed to leave a course past the withdrawal date without obtaining an F on your report card. In my case, it didn't end up mattering because I still had a lot of mental health problems to deal with, but... Um, at least for those three courses, they didn't bring down my average too much. Yeah, and you actually touched on an amazing point. Like, there's so much pressure placed on university students these days. And, like, even in my own experience, there's so much um, mental health impacts that this leaves. And even for neurotypical students, for students with autism, students with um, different disabilities, it's even more of an impact. Um, so I'm glad we're kind of acknowledging that today. Yeah, there is a lot of pressure in honors, especially like in honors, you're expected to be taking, you're required to maintain six courses per academic term. Ah, that's a lot! So it, it's it's ridiculously stressful, especially for anyone who's neurodiverse and has any sort of mental health difficulties. It can be a real struggle, and that's why I made the decision. Um, in addition to having a failed course that made me ineligible, I decided that I was not interested in honors and that I was going to switch to a degree program where I was only taking four courses a term, which is UBC's definition of full-time rather than six, because it was just, it was way too much, and I'm a lot more comfortable and a lot happier now, which is good. What advice would you give to other young people with disabilities who might be um, considering university next year or even in the same situation that you found yourself in a couple years ago? A few things. I think the biggest one would be register your, accommodate, your, your uh, disability and your accommodations as soon as possible. 
not just because it's best to get all the help you can from the start, but also because I like in my process of doing that, I found out another thing that was frustrating to me is UBC usually requires that your uh, diagnosis of autism be current or anything, anything basically, be current within one year of when you apply to get your really? accommodation. Um, and if you don't have it that current, normally they will require you to get a rediagnosis out of what? pocket. What? Um, but so that's one thing I'm going to try not to get to in that because it's pretty negative going down that road. But another thing I would just say is like being unique, I, I guess one warning I would give is be willing to be flexible with your degree. Like in my case, I think part of what caused me so much struggle is I started recognizing that I was struggling in first and second year and sort of denied that and wasn't as flexible as I could have been with, well, maybe, I, maybe I'm not cut out for honors. And other people in my life were advising me of that, and I just wasn't, didn't have the flexibility in my mind to acknowledge that and to really properly consider that. So I guess that's one thing I would give is be flexible, because sometimes you can start a degree in university and find out that the subject that you'd always thought that you actually that was going to be your best subject is in fact not something you're interested in or not something you're good at. Um, and leaning on from that, I would say that there's I would highly encourage and like, I would like scream from the hilltops that more people should consider doing five year degrees. Well, excuse me, rather than four. Yes, I completely agree, and I would literally recommend this to everybody considering university. Um, because there's this like like artificial um cultural expectation that a student's going to be doing five or six courses but um it's just not worth it um especially if you're somebody who's prone to struggling with mental health or anxiety um i completely agree with you there casey that it's um way smarter to do it in uh five or six years instead of the usual four Vancouver Cooperative Radio is an innovative non-profit community radio station with a mission to produce creative and engaging programming for communities whose voices are underrepresented in the mainstream media. We need your financial support to help us achieve this mission. By donating today, you will help us to continue providing access to training and equipment for over 300 volunteers who produce 140 hours of original programming in over 10 languages. Since 1975, we've celebrated the rich cultural diversity of the Greater Vancouver area through our arts, music and spoken word programming. Please support alternative community-based radio. You can donate today by visiting coopradio.org or calling 604-684-8494. That's 604-684-8494. Highly illogical. And now, it's time for your weekly movie trigger question with voice impressionist Ben Simcoe. If you think that you can guess the movie and characters that Ben is doing this week, tweet us at Mayday Neurodiversity now for your chance to win! Here we go! Excellent work, Yago. I'm going! No real scale wants ten. You are never. Oh, Jafar! I'm embarrassed! I'm blushing! Well, if you guessed Iago and Jafar from Aladdin, then you are correct! 
That was Ben Simcoe, Abbotsford-based voice impressionist and advocate for people with neurodiversities. Thank you very much. Once again, we return to our interview with Casey Broughton, UBC student and LGBTQ neurodiversity advocate. Casey is talking about his experiences at university. Um, so Casey, what other activities besides academics are you involved in on campus? Yeah, so I'm involved sort of as two major branches of my my on-campus life outside of um, outside of classes. Number one is UBC Acapella. I've been involved with UBC Acapella, which is um, and UBC Acapella Choir since wow. my first year. I love that group. I, as I said, I've been in it since first year, and obviously people have come and gone in the choir, but um, there's very few people, <laughs> the originals left, but the sort of the spirit is still there, and it's it's a good opportunity for me to get out and to meet people and to hang out, and like it's a regimented reason to get out of, to get out of the rut of constantly thinking about academics, because at the very least, you have two hours a week where you have obligations to other people that aren't academic and you're doing something that you're not being graded on, but that you still have the requirement yeah. to be there. And I think that's really valuable. I guess that's another piece of advice I would give that to people. That is such a valid point. It's like, yes! have a regimented reason where you're responsible to other people to do something other than academics. It's like, in my case, it's the choir. Yeah. Um, where if I don't show up to a choir rehearsal, they will message me and be like, where were you today? You know? Aww. And as many listeners might know, I truly do understand the value of um, social connection through choral singing. There's something about like singing and having your voice blend in with the people around you that just really brings out um, just an incredible amount of love and passion for the people around you. Um, so up next is my choir, actually, the Mayday Club Youth Choir, which is made up of young people, 42 young people from around BC who are all on the autism spectrum or have similar neurodiversities, singing A Million Dreams from The Greatest Showman. I close my eyes and I can see the world that's waiting out for me that I call my own. Through the door, through the door, through where no one's been before, but it feels like home. They can say, they can say, it all sounds crazy. They can say, they can say, I've lost my mind. I don't care, I don't care, so call me crazy. We can live in a world that we design Cause every night I lie in bed The brightest colors fill my head A million dreams are keeping me awake I think of what the world could be A vision of the one I see A million dreams is all it's gonna take Once again, you are listening to Mayday Neurodiversity Now on Vancouver Co-op Radio. This is the Mayday Club Youth Choir singing A Million Dreams from The Greatest Showman. I actually took the liberty of asking some of the choir kids if they'd be willing to share with us some of the things that they're doing to combat the loneliness and isolation during this weird COVID-19 quarantine. Um, so here are some of their answers. Hope you enjoy.
Hi, this is Riley from Richmond, B.C. I'm 13 next month, and some things I am doing to stay entertained is playing video games, watching TV, jumping on the trampoline, and creating YouTube videos. Follow me at RileyGamerTVFree. Hi, my name's Tanan. I'm 17 from North Delta. What I'm doing to stay entertained is I'm doing a lot of online dance classes, I'm cooking and baking, and I'm watching a lot of TV like Netflix. Due to the COVID-19 outbreak, the programming schedule at Co-op Radio has been altered. You may hear repeats of old programming, pre-recorded episodes, and special broadcasts overriding certain shows. Thank you for your listenership and patience during this time. And remember to wash your hands. Yo, okay, so Casey, were you still wanting to talk about Star Trek? Sure. Brilliant! Okay, so me and Casey are both really big Star Trek fans. And as a Star Trek fan, one thing that really stands out to me is the um, idea that Vulcans have this thing on the planet called IDIC, which is an acronym for Infinite Diversity in Infinite Combinations. And it basically represents the ideology that every single being and every situation and every idea is unique and there is literally infinite diversity and infinite combinations, and they utilize that to their advantage. Now, Vulcan is one of the most successful and prosperous species in the galaxy, and I believe at least that it is in part because they utilize and embrace every different type of mind. They embrace the diversity, they rejoice in the difference of the other. And I would just really love to know what your thoughts would be on this, Casey. Um, it's interesting to me, like, the Vulcan society is very interesting. There have been comparisons drawn between, like, a lot of Vulcan ideology and, like, autism spectrum disorder before. I think there was an author, there's an author of one of the Star Trek novels that suggested that perhaps Surak, the founder of Vulcan ideology, um, the, the Vulcan ideology of, like, you know, controlling your emotions and being very logical might himself have been autistic, um, which is certainly an, can, an interesting... Can Vulcans have autism? Well, it's it's an interesting possibility. Or I think they suggested, that, oh, he might have had the Vulcan equivalent of autism, which explained how he was able to, like, yeah. get this outside perspective. And there is certainly, like, a lot that you can empathize with as a neurodivergent person with the Vulcans with, where you've got these people that are very similar to humans but don't understand a lot of human behavior, which is certainly true of neurodivergent people and neurotypicals. <laughs> um, but there's also, like, and yes, they do embrace these things about, you know, infinite diversity and infinite combinations, and there's this a lot of ideas of their society that are rather noble, you know, this idea of this reliance on peace and logic and this idea that we should accept people as they are but there's also hints. Yeah, and there's one saying where they say, like, I rejoice in our differences when they meet somebody who they might not understand. I mm -hmm. thought that was really cool, but keep going. Yeah, but I mean, there's also things that I see as, like, problematic with their society that some people have explored both, like, in the series and as external analysis. In particular, um, I think, that, like, there's a certain toxicity to the Vulcan's attitude towards emotions. Like, there's this sort of implicit assumption and, like, sometimes explicitly shown um, throughout the series that, like, Vulcan emotions are these violent and incredibly powerful things that are so much worse than our human emotions, and that's why they feel the need... Yeah, like the Romulans. Yes, and that's why they feel the need to sort of 
suppress these with logic and that they're not unemotional. It's just that their logic sits over top of that. But at least in humans, and I suspect in Vulcans, and that's somewhat explored in some of the series, that can be a very unhealthy way of dealing with things. Like, it, it's not the, the healthiest way of dealing with emotions that cause, you know, violence and difficulty is not usually to repress those emotions and try to pretend as much as possible that they don't exist. Maybe it works better for the Vulcans than it does for us, but I think taking Vulcan philosophy full stop without considering that is not necessarily the best of ideas. Um, I, yeah, I like I completely agree with you on that. Like I know in Buddhism they have this thing where it's like acknowledge that you're experiencing an emotion and then accept mm-hmm. it. And like that's how people are encouraged to deal with it. It's not like deny that they're there at all because throughout pretty much every Star Trek series ever there is references to Vulcans having emotions. So like they are there mm-hmm. and they are even stronger than humans, like you mentioned. Um but yeah, and but like yeah. also in Buddhism, there's the concept of like the middle path, which is that this idea that it's inherently unhealthy to try to go to extremes of things. So yes, obviously it is unhealthy to go. It is unhealthy. It's undesirable to, um, you know, be this incredibly greedy person and hoard wealth and stuff. But it's also not a good idea to conclude from that that the only possible alternative is to live a life of you know absolute piety and poverty right i think that's that sort of thing applies very much to the vulcan ideology too like yes it is true that there are many times that it is worth trying to keep logic in mind and not let emotions completely control your behavior but also there's validity to you know, the way that humans in Star Trek behave, which is more of a synthesis of that and also acknowledging that emotion and intuition is an important thing and not something to be repressed. I love this mm-hmm. conversation. I think we should share this. I think we should share this interview into that Star Trek yes. page because it's so philosophical. Or at least this uh, extract from it, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, this excerpt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're running out of time. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I wish we could keep talking about this forever. <laughs> but so, um, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, what are what are your some of your personal goals or dreams for the future? I mean, in the short term, make it through quarantine without getting sick or getting my family sick. <laughs> but I think that's everybody's short term goal at the moment. <laughs> um, looking yeah. and get through this term, of course, which we're still finishing by online. Looking at the slightly longer term, I'm really looking forward to doing my minor next year. I really hope that's approved because I've, I'm really looking forward to the courses that I selected for next year. I haven't technically registered yet, but I, when you apply for a minor, you give them an idea of what courses you'd like to take. Um, and then in the sort of slightly longer term, over this summer, I'm looking at applying to law school. I, my goal is to get into the law program at McGill. Wow which is very prestigious within Canada. It's in a city that I'm quite interested in living in, which is Montreal. Um, it's a bilingual program, which is great if you want to work in the federal My government. My family's from Montreal. Oh, really? It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I like Montreal a lot. It's like it's um, a very beautiful city, very historic city. It's also a city with an excellent transit network and dense urban center that 
it's also not ludicrously expensive, which helps. <laughs> Um, yeah. Compare with Vancouver, where I, I was living until recently. Like, Yay! Yeah. And even Kelowna, frankly, like Kelowna is still cheaper than Vancouver in terms of housing. But when you account for the fact that you know you basically have to buy a car here and you're going to be driving everywhere, it can get it can get up there. Um, not that we have a law school here, anyways. But um, so, like, I'm looking at ideally law school at McGill. It's a bilingual program, which is great because it's great for if you ever want to work in federal government type stuff, which I might want to do, or anything federal, really. It's good to be bilingual. And, do you speak French? Um, I've forgotten a lot. I'm rusty, but I do. Um, I think I need to train yeah. myself back up to their standards because they expect you to be able to know, to speak enough French. I believe their sort of de facto standard is you should be able to read and fully understand a Supreme Court decision in either official language, and I'm certainly not really there Ooh. right now. That's one of my goals over the summer is to try and get my level of French back up. But um, I do speak a bit. Yeah. I speak enough. I speak enough that I'm like conversationally fluent and I put it on my resume, but not necessarily enough to be comfortable arguing it in court without a translator. <laughs> um, and <laughs> yeah. McGill does expect you. They have this thing called passive bilinguality where it's like the Houses of Parliament where in any, in any class, regardless of the language of the class, you can submit written assignments and speak in class in either language, and the expectation is that you understand both. Um, so yeah, if I can get in there, that's my goal. Otherwise, I mean, there's other law schools in the country, of course. UBC, Vancouver has a law school. There's um, uh, Thompson Rivers University in Kamloops. I mean, there's also, there's even, I think Concordia has a law school that's also in Montreal. So, like, there are other options, and I'm certainly considering other options, but my, my absolute goal and dream would be McGill. Wow, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so thank you so much for your time. Like yeah, it was so time cool too. to talk to you today. So mm -hmm. I hope that you and your family stay safe mm -hmm. and um don't get too bored during this weird quarantine yes. thing. You as well. Yeah, we're managing so thank far, you. All right, everyone, so that is our show today. Thank you so much for listening, and I will leave you with The Coronavirus Rhapsody by Adrian Grimes and Dana J. B.
Sickness put aside for me, for me, for me. 